We are in the next message in our series called Flourish. We're talking about uh, flourishing in every aspect of our lives. And as I mentioned in the first, uh, the first message, uh, we, are, we are holistic beings. You know, God is triune, and we're triune. We're body, we're soul, we're spirit. And everything that we do, every part of ourselves that we surrender over to the Lord, it influences and it forms every other part of ourselves. Uh, so it's, we, can't, we don't surrender to God in part. You don't surrender in part. The, surrendering in part is actually called rebellion. Right? You don't, we don't surrender just a little bit. We surrender to God all the way. And that's what we've been talking about and talking about creating a spiritual environment where we can be planted in God and every area of our life can grow. And now the area of our lives that we're talking about today is so much fun. This is exactly what you want to talk about on the weekend. We're going to talk about work. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're going to talk about work. Um, we, all, we all go to work. We all go to work in various capacities and in various ways um, and f- for various reasons. Uh, but what I want to do today is I want to take, uh, take a look at the why, the why of our work as it relates to Scripture. And it goes way back to the beginning. We're going to start in Genesis 1.1. I wanted to uh, put, put work in in context, because I know I've had jobs, and you've had jobs, where you walked in and you felt like, yeah, this is, this is terrible. I don't want to be here. This is maybe the worst part of my day, right? And I'm not the only one. I'm just, maybe I'm just a really pessimistic worker. Um, but I do remember, I've told you this story before about, you know, David and I worked at Buffet Palace together, and in my interview, I, I, I had my follow-up interview with Sam Shimi, our, our boss, and he just told me, if you want to be a good weight person, you're going to have to improve your everything. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm not great here, and I don't think they value all I bring to the organization, <laughs> quite honestly. But, uh, but to put all those things in perspective, even moments when your boss has told you, you could be really great if you were someone else doing this job, some of us view work as a curse right? Depending on the job you have, the season that you're in, sometimes we view work as a curse. Like, I hate being here. I hate doing this. This, I feel chained to this job. I can't ever leave. This is where I'm coming. It's like a prison sentence, that sort of thing. Some of us feel like work is a curse. Some of us, on the other hand, view work as as it's our God. You've probably known people like this. Everything that they get in life that gives them identity and purpose and validation is coming not from God, but it's coming from their work. Everything that's good about their lives, they find in work. That's their ultimate source of value. Some people, though, there's a third category of people that just look at work as a means to an end. I'm just here serving my time so I can get my paycheck because what I really want to do is outside of this job. What I really want to do is out there, so I'm just kind of getting things done. This is a means to be able to do the thing I really want to do. None of those are the real reason why we work. None of those are God's intention for us. All of those are our own ideas, our own paradigms that we put around us to contextualize our work. Um, The Bureau of Labor Statistics says this. It says the average American adult works about 7.74 hours per weekday, 2,012.4 hours per year, which totals about 90,000 hours throughout a lifetime that we'll spend working. 
I just got to believe one-third of our life can't be about nothing. One-third of our life can't be something that God intended for us to keep separate from everything else. He came that we could have, Jesus came that we could have life and life more abundantly. He did not separate those to say, oh, you're going to have a work life that's so-so, but the rest of your life is going to be more abundant. And how we view that third of our lives, how we view that, that time, those 90,000 hours that we'll spend on average working, how we view it really makes a difference in how we view the rest of our lives and how we view what God wants to do with us. If we can see our work life through the lens of biblical truth, then all of those hours that we spend can have purpose. They can be redeemed. They can be reclaimed. And they can be something that we see as part of God's plan, not a diversion from God's plan, not, not a way station while we wait for God's plan. No, wherever you find yourself is a part of his plan for you. He doesn't do things by accident. And he's not surprised at anything that's happening to us. It's not like you got a job and took a job and God was like, huh, wait, a I flipped the channel for a second and then they had this job. I did not know. Okay, well, I guess I got to get to work on that. He knows. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He knows what he's called you to. He knows what your skills are. He knows where your heart is. And he's put you wherever he's put you for a purpose. And so we're going to go back to our definition of flourish. That's to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. And we have been reading through John 15, 5 through 8, about being, he's the vine, we're the branches. If we remain in him and he in us, then we'll have life. And that's what it means to flourish. It's about not the physical environment, not the work relationship, not the work environment, not the school environment, not the home environment. It's about the spiritual environment that God allows us to partner with him to create that remains the same no matter where we go and allows us to flourish no matter where we find ourselves, even at work. There's this, uh, there's this perceived great divide that we have. There's a theologian, her name is Catherine Leary Alsdorf. She says, inadequate and unbiblical thinking about work often reinforces a sacred secular divide rather than fostering a unified view of our Christian life. Once again, work life, home life, church life, were never intended to be separate. It's just life. This is our life, and it all has purpose. And so one of the things I want to do today is reframe this third of our life that we spend working. And that's where we get back to Genesis 1. 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, when there was nothing but chaos, when there was nothing but disorder, God spoke into it and made something. He went to work. He is a worker. And then we skip ahead to verses 26 uh, through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
God is a worker. We see this at the top of, of the Bible. The very first thing we read is that God is a worker. And it doesn't get very far before we realize, oh, he created us in his image. Whatever he is, we are to be. Whatever he is, that's what we are. And very first thing after we were created, he said, I want you now. I created this. I'm sustaining this. I want for you to go to work in that purpose. I want for you to go to work co-creating with me, sustaining this, ruling and subduing things and, and, and reigning over things and cultivating and working and, and making sure that the garden is established and preserved. That's who he called us to be. That's who he called us to be. And then he said that he blessed us. He blessed us. He said, go and do these things. Do this work. And by the way, you're doing it with my blessing. You are blessed in all that you set your hands to do. It's what he's telling Adam and Eve, and it's what he's telling us. And that's important to address at the start, really, because work was created before the fall. Work was blessed before the fall. So many times, especially if you have a bad job or you have a bad manager or you're having a rough day at work, it can feel like, okay, well, there was the fall and then now work is cursed and that's why this is this way. It just feels that way. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible said. After, after he created them, after he set them to work, after he, he blessed them, Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's Genesis 2. It's not until Genesis 3 that the fall occurs. And after Adam and Eve sort of turn their back on what God called them to do, the work that he was asking them to do, and tried to take a little bit of a shortcut around and tried to you know, go outside, outside his, his covenant, then we get to Genesis 3, 17 through 19, that says, cursed is the ground because of you. Actions have consequences. Here's the consequence. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food. So the work is still blessed. God is not saying that he's taken the blessing off of the things he's asked them to do. They're still called to do those things. They're still called to tend the garden, cultivate it, help, help it grow, help it flourish. That's still their mission. The work was never cursed. The work was always blessed, and we were always blessed in it. But what he said is, the ground is cursed. Because of that action, I'm still blessing the work of your hand. I'm still blessing and empowering you to do it. It's still going to produce fruit, but now it's harder. Work now involves sweat and toil. It involves thorns and thistles. Before the fall, you know, the conditions were right for growth. But after the fall, it's like, I don't know, Nevada, mule shoe. <laughs> after the fall, it's like, man, we're going to work, we got to work the ground hard in order for stuff to happen. We can still produce, it's still blessed, but now it's harder. Now there's thorns and thistles. And in our modern view of work, thorns and thistles, work involves stuff like stress and overtime and bosses who are dumb and meetings that are stupid. It involves all that stuff, things you don't want to do, things you don't want to go to, things that make it harder. But 
the work is still good, and God is actually at work in us and through us to redeem work. That's why Jesus came. In part, Paul wrote this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What he's saying, what Paul is saying here is that the work is still blessed. The ground is harder, but Jesus came so that we could have access again, as they did in the garden, right relationship with the Father, right relationship with the Father, so that we could receive from him, so that we could partner with him, so that we could accomplish his will, so that we could establish and cultivate the garden. Jesus came so that we could be brought into right relationship with the Father, so that we could be put back on the original mission, which is, this is the garden. Tend to it. Help it grow. Flourish it. Protect it. Establish it. That's the original mission, and that's what we're doing when we work, but we don't look at it that way all the time. We lose our sense of purpose. Uh, John Stott, who's a theologian and author, he said this, work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both. It's done in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Whatever work we do, we don't do it for a paycheck. Especially as believers, as people of faith, as people who surrendered and submit to the Lord, we don't go to work for a paycheck. We're not working for a boss. It may feel that way sometimes. We may be told that sometimes. We're not working for a boss. We're not, we're not working for our corporation. We're doing work to benefit and to, and to serve well for our boss and for our corporation, but we're not working for those things. We're working to bring glory to God. We're working for the Lord. We're doing all things as if unto the Lord, not as unto men. The English word um, vocation, which is what we, you know, we call our jobs a lot of times vocations. The, the English word vocation is actually the Latin verb voca, which means to call. So at some point, knowing that the word vocation even exists, at some point when we were developing this English language, our idea was that every form of work was a calling. Every form of work in some way was a calling. It applies to all work, all work. Whatever we do, we, we work because it glorifies God. And you'll notice there's, there's no sacred or secular divide between the two. That's why you don't hear people asking Jesus in the Bible, hey, how's your spiritual life going right now? How's, you know, how, how are things going? In the I'm not talking about your work. I'm not talking about carpentry. But how's your spiritual life going? Jesus is like, I, I, don't, I don't have a divide between my spiritual life and my carpentry, between my spiritual life and having dinner, between my spiritual life and, and talking with my mom, between my spiritual life and hanging with my disciples. I don't have a divide there. Luke 2.49, this is when uh, Jesus was, uh, he got away from Mary and Joseph, and he's a squirrely little kid, and he gets away from Mary and Joseph, and he's hanging out at the temple talking with the, some of the teachers there, and they're freaking out because they can't find him. It's like losing your kid at Six Flags or something. And they're like, oh, would they finally find him? Like, Jesus, where were you? We were worried sick. And he says to them in Luke 2.49, I mean, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? 
That's why I'm here. I'm at the temple. Didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? He probably got spanked later. That's not recorded. (laughs) Yeah, but Jesus knew, even from a young age, Jesus knew what his father wanted done on earth. But sometimes we forget. So part of what I want to do here is, I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. I was reading a bit of this book by Robert Banks, and it's called Faith Goes to Work. We forget that wherever we are is no accident. And whatever we find ourselves doing, there is an aspect of God in it that we have been called to reveal to the earth. Okay? And I want, I want to go through a couple of these. Here's the types of work that God is doing. Because sometimes we don't see our job as a calling, and we wonder, well, yeah, but even my job? Can my job be a calling? Yes. So the first type of work that God is doing, redemptive work. This is saving and reconciling. This is taking people who are under oppression, seeing them that they're under oppression, they're in bondage, they're needing freedom, and being an instrument of God's illumination, his saving power, his reconciling power. Taking somebody and helping them come from a place of oppression into a place of freedom. And so on the job, who does this? Who does this as a job? The easy answer is like, oh, pastors and evangelists do that. You know, pastors do that. Um, Yeah, but there's no secular sacred divide. So also, counselors do that. Counselors help people come out of oppression. They help lift them up, draw them into a deeper relationship with God. Artists do that with with their created works that help people see things and inspire them and get them free from some sort of oppression and into a new light. Teachers do this. And whatever job you happen to be in, there are opportunities every day to be involved in God's redemptive work, seeing someone who's in oppression and helping lift them out of it. Really, really, really good managers do this all the time. God's also into creative work, and that's fashioning of the physical and the human world. In the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God is the only one who can make something out of nothing. We, though, are co-creators with Christ, so we can make something out of another something, and we can... Ask God for wisdom and creativity to be able to fashion that into something new that maybe the world hasn't seen before. So who does this? Again, different types of artists do this. Musicians, poets, sculptors, um, uh, craftspeople. So if you're a carpenter, a weaver, a metal worker, if you're a contractor, you're taking something that wasn't there before and you're building something. You're establishing something. You're showing that, oh yeah, this structure in the physical world went from an idea And it went from my head to my heart and into my hands, and now it's something. Now it's something. And if you're working as part of a firm, then you get the opportunity to bring other people into that creative process. And it may not feel in the moment like, oh, well, this is what what God does. But it's what God does. It's an aspect of who he is. He creates. He builds. He establishes something where before there was nothing. And he allows us the opportunity to do that. Providential work. This is God's provision for and his sustaining of his creation. He provides for us. And I know the children of Israel wandering through the desert, um, they were hungry. They asked for bread, and it came directly from God, fell from heaven. 
That was miraculous. That was provision directly from God. But I know that I've received, and I've been an instrument to be able to give God's provision as a person to someone else. So many times, the things we receive from God, if we're not careful, they look like we're receiving it from a person because he uses us to fulfill his will, to bless others. So creating and maintaining, not only providing for people, but creating and maintaining order. These are, these are things like God provides for us, and he provides a structure. He creates order out of chaos. And so who does this in our, in our real world? Well, anybody who's in a service industry does this. They provide for others. People who are in sales do this. They provide for other people. They, they hear the needs and they think, oh, that's, that's, that's a need I can help meet. And they find out how they can help meet the need and help somebody get provision, something they didn't have before. Government workers do this, creating and maintaining order. Politicians, public utility workers, city clerks. If you're in public safety, a firefighter, first responder, police officer, um, it, people who work environmentally, and not just with the outdoors, but with the indoors, custodians do this. They create an environment that is safe, that feels good, that's secure, that's clean, that's healthy. It's, it's eye-opening when we think about the kinds of work that God does and how we can be involved in that. Just three more quick ones. Justice work. I mentioned that you know, God in the beginning, he brought order to chaos. Just people who work in justice, that's what they're doing. They're bringing order to chaos. Life can get really chaotic because people can be really dumb and do dumb things. And we need people who are expressing this aspect of God to be able to say, oh, wait, there are boundaries. And I'm going to help you to see them. And I'm going to help you to stay in them. Because that's actually better for us. So judges, lawyers, paralegals, government workers, uh, uh, secretaries, legal secretaries, city managers, prison wardens, uh, law enforcement personnel. These are all people who work daily in this godly task of bringing order to a chaotic world. And when we see that, then it gives our work purpose. Compassionate work. This is God being involved in comforting, healing, guiding, and shepherding people. Now, also, you know, when we talk about shepherding, healing, guiding, we think about ministry workers, you know, because we're in church, we think about that. But remember, there's no secular or sacred divide. That's a part of the job. But also, this includes doctors, nurses, paramedics, EMTs, psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, community workers, emergency medical technicians, again, counselors, teachers, moms, right? God's involvement in comforting, healing, guiding, and shepherding people. You may be on the job daily and have this going on, but if we don't recognize it, then we'll think that we're just getting a paycheck and not revealing the heart of God. Last one, revelatory work. This is God's work to enlighten others with truth. Who does this? Teachers, scientists, journalists, scholars, writers, um, and, 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 and anybody who's on the job and is in a management role and gets asked a question. Anybody who's able to advise someone else on the job, you, that's God's revelatory work. You're helping enlighten people about truth. It's a function that God wants us to operate in in this world. So whatever our job Whatever our role, the main thing for us to do is to surrender it, 
to the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I wanted to mention these things in this message because we get so focused on work and the day-to-day and the stuff that we're doing and honestly the things that we don't like about it and the things we wish we could change that we forget that we're there with a purpose. We're there because our identity as image bearers is to reflect the nature of God. It's to establish and cultivate the Garden of Eden. That's what he originally designed us to work for, and we can do that. Talk about creating a spiritual environment. We can do that in our workplaces, and we can do that. That is not contingent upon anything else in the natural. That is contingent upon our surrender and our heart and our partnering with God and saying, Lord, let it be. Let it be. Let your will be done. So, you know, that's the why for work. That's why we do what we do. We do what we do wherever you happen to be because there's something of God that we're supposed to be reflecting and ministering. And you're in the location that you are because God's strategic. And there's something for you to do, something for you to learn before he's going to let you move on. Before he's going to open up the next step of the journey, we have to accomplish this part. We have to be faithful. And so we know we need to be honest workers. We need to be ethical workers. We need to be faithful and caring workers. And we also understand in that, that working that way can be hard because it's hard to do more than just the minimum. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of focus. But when we understand how our work is a reflection and continuation of God's work, then it can help give our work a purpose. So... I just want to close here with four quick things, practices that we can put in place to really reveal God at work, okay? First, be diligent. Be diligent. Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12.27 says, the precious possession of a man is diligence. Diligence. There shouldn't, we're, we're followers of Jesus, There should be no quit in us. There's no quit in him. There should be no slacking off in us. There was no slacking off in him. Whatever we're doing, we do with all our heart. Be diligent. Be diligent. Not only is that better for you on the workplace, not only is that more fulfilling, but it releases something in someone else. When they see your diligence, when they see your purpose, when they they get a vision of what this is because of the way you walk. Next thing, develop and improve. Wherever you are, don't be content just to stay there. Promotion comes from the Lord, but a lot of times the promotion comes as a result of our development and our growth. We're able to handle more. We're able to see more. Proverbs 22, 29 says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Proverbs 16, 9 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So wherever he has placed us in our work, We should not be content to just do the minimum. We should develop, which brings us to the next point. Do more than the minimum. Do more than the minimum. Matthew 5, 41 says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Our commitment to do more than the minimum releases something in someone else to realize, oh, there is more. That makes everything better. That makes everything rise and level. Very last thing, surrender and offer your work to God. Ephesians 6, 6 and 7 says, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Luke 6, 49. But if you just use, if you, if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. So we, our work is something we surrender to God and we offer it to him. Because as I say all the time, every time I receive an offering, he takes what we give in the natural and he takes it and he makes it supernatural like he did with Moses and the staff. He takes it up. It's, it was a natural thing. He takes it up. It becomes a supernatural thing. He hands it back to him and now it's fit for the supernatural work that God intended for it. And that's the way that our work life is. So we're talking about a full one-third of how we spend our lives. It's a lot of time, right? And it's not intended to be separated from the other two-thirds. It's supposed to be one. It's supposed to be one. It carries, the work you do carries value. It carries purpose. It carries meaning. It reveals God's heart, not only to you, but to the people that you're working with. If it's submitted over to him, and, and, and what he's doing is he's continuing the work that he began in the garden that got interrupted. He's continuing in our work what he began in the garden. He's saying, go and establish my kingdom. Establish peace. Establish order. Establish justice. Establish love. Establish all of that and tend to it so that it grows. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. This is what we can expect when we commit this to the Lord. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. As we commit and submit and surrender this aspect of our lives and bring all the other aspects of our lives into that same surrendered state, we can flourish. And it's like we're transplanting out of the natural world and into the courts of our God. 